0: Exodus tells the history of the Hebrew people, beloved by God the Father as his firstborn, people who were taken into Egyptian slavery for 400 years. A hostile king set himself up against the one true God, Yahweh. And this king has enslaved God's people and will not release them. And so Exodus is the account of that deliverance. And I've got an outline that talks about the entire book of Exodus, just for your reference. Exodus 1 through 18 speaks of God the deliverer. That portion of Exodus that um, tells of God taking His people out of the nation of Egypt and then uh, to a place uh, where God gave them His law. Exodus 19 to 24. And then, uh, having given the law, God gives His people the floor plans or the architectural plans, the building plans for the tabernacle, which was their place of worship. It was a portable temple uh, where uh, Israel uh, exalted the one true God. But all of Exodus is really about God, God the deliverer, God, the lawgiver, and God, the architect. If I could summarize the book of Exodus in one verse, I would refer to you to Exodus 15, 13. Exodus 15, 13. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them To your holy dwelling. So that's reference to the tabernacle that I just spoke of. In your unfailing love and in your strength. So Exodus is about God's unfailing love and it's about God's almighty strength. And and so all that we learn about Exodus stems from God our Father's almighty strength and his, his crazy love. For his people, whom he refers to as his firstborn son. More on that in just a little bit. But it's important to remember God's unfailing love, especially as we look at the passage that I want us to study today, Exodus chapters 7 through 11, the section on the plagues. Someone may be thinking, he's going to cover 7 through 11 in one sermon? I'm going to speak quickly. (laughs) But if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 7, and I want to read verses 14 to 25. Exodus 7, 14 to 25, you'll find that on page 49 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, please avail yourself to the the copy uh, that's in the pouch in front of you and receive it as a gift from the church family. Put your name in it. But here in these verses, um, God starts afflicting Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt with 10 plagues to force Pharaoh to release Israel from Egyptian bondage. So here, here is a section that describes the first plague. Follow along with me as I read. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile." Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Now, this is the word of the Lord. So, God afflicts Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt with ten plagues to force Pharaoh to release Israel. Now, some might read these verses and think, well, okay, this is why I gave up organized religion. A power-hungry God who needs anger management, using power to get his way. And now, this pastor, uh, you know, is going to get up and tell me that if I don't do what he says, then he's going to smite me too. My Lord. My Lord. Um, my Lord. Well, uh, I get that. I get that. I totally get that. And if, and there are There are a lot, there's a lot of bad preaching on this passage, and so I'm praying that this will not be among that group. So so you know, pray for me, right? But I want us to remember that phrase: in your unfailing love. In your unfailing love. So all that we're about to read in the book of Exodus deals with God's unfailing love. So when I read about the plagues in Exodus 7 through 10, I just, I'll tell you who I think about. I think about Liam Neeson. That's who I think about. You remember Liam Neeson? You remember the movie Taken? Yeah. Now, just picture that, right? His daughter gets kidnapped, and then when he talks to the villain, you know, what's he say, right? I don't know what you want. If, if it's money you want, I don't have that. What I do have is a particular set of skills. Right? If you let my daughter go, nothing more will be said. If you do not, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Welcome to Windsor Road. Um, (laughs) I'll be in the fireside room if you want. (laughs) you to, I want you to, I think about, and here's why I think about that. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 to 23, God says to Moses, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. See? You see? So the so firstborn, and he says the firstborn son. Why firstborn? Because the in the ancient Near East, the firstborn son continued the family line, and, and the firstborn son meant hope, uh, hope for the future, hope for the family, flourishing. Uh, And so the firstborn son possessed family leadership and family privileges and family responsibilities. And so think Liam in Exodus 7 through 11. I think it'll be helpful because what we see in these verses is a father Who possesses a fierce, almost fanatical love for his firstborn? I mean, what father whose child is kidnapped for 400 years wouldn't go after that child? And that's what we see going on here in these verses. Pharaoh defiantly says, Who is the Lord? And he's about to find out. And that's what the plagues deal with. So these, so these verses don't describe a sadistic God who enjoys pulling wings off flies, right? Rather, the big idea in these verses is that God wants us to know his almighty strength and his unfailing love. There it is. Almighty strength. Unfailing love. Think about these two features of God coming together in these verses. And, and um, so, and then here's, here's why this matters. And I don't want this to be just an ancient Bible history lesson for us, church. You know, lest we just relegate these verses to just an interesting learning lesson, these verses call us to questions like, where is our hope? Where are we putting our sense of significance and identity? I mean, here's what I've learned so far in reading Exodus. Wherever you are, wherever you live right now is probably Egypt. Wherever you live right now. That's what I know about all of us. And here's what else I know about all of us. There, there is a better place, which you could call the promised land. And we're not there yet. So the question is, who are you going to trust to get you from point A to point B? Whose directions are you going to take? And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Who is he? Who is he that I should take his directions? See, And I think that's a question that, that we're asking here. And so these verses, in, these, in the plagues, God is actually pleading with Pharaoh the ancient wisdom of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. And so the plagues, this this is God speaking. God speaking to His people. God speaking to those who are keeping His people from their ordained destiny. It's about trusting the Lord. It's about knowing and acknowledging and living under God's almighty strength and unfailing love. Well, let's talk about these two here. First, almighty strength. Almighty strength. The, The plagues were sent to reveal God's sovereign strength over all. As I said, Pharaoh's question it was the first words out of his mouth who is the lord and when pharaoh asked this this question he did he was not speaking as a religious atheist he was speaking as a religious pluralist. So it's not that he didn't believe that there was a Hebrew God because there were many gods in the Egyptian system. Rather, his question was, what gives this God of slaves the right to issue commands to me, the king of Egypt, a living deity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the purpose of the plagues was that there are no other gods. Uh, it's not that Yahweh was saying, I'm the best of them. It's that he's saying, I'm the only one of them. Exodus 12, 12. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And then later, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 33 and 35, the word says, Did any people ever hear the voice of a god speaking out of the midst of the fire? as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? And then it says this, To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God, and there is no other besides him. So the plagues systematically undermined Egypt's pluralist claims. They were a two-fold assault on A, religious pluralism, that is the belief that all religions are valid, and B, personal autonomy, the belief that I have the right to live the way I want. Say it, sir. Yeah. So through the plagues... the the one true God took those things which Egypt thought their gods had custody of, and the true God just turned it against them. And why? To demonstrate that, that only one God rules the heavens and the earth, and there's no one besides Him. Now, it's interesting, if you will turn to Exodus 7, and set your eyes on verse 1, Verses 1 through 13 offer a preface to the plagues before this first smiting of the Nile. Um, In verses 1 through 13, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, and they're told to throw down Moses' staff. And when Moses threw his staff down, it became a snake. Verses 8 through 13. The snake was a symbol of Egyptian power. So, the the Pharaoh's garb and his crown uh, was that of a snake. It it revealed Egyptian sovereignty or authority. And so, Moses and Aaron throw down the staff, becomes a snake. But verse 11, look at verse 11. It says that then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret Arts. Now, so they replicated the miracle, but only superficially, and get this, get this. So, so Moses and Aaron merely threw down the staff, but Pharaoh had to summon his sorcerers to do conjuring and their secret arts. But there's no secret about the power of Yahweh, and there was no conjuring. Moses and Aaron simply obeyed what the Lord said God told them what to do they obeyed and it happened in fact the staff of Moses seemed to act on its own it does God's will Pharaoh needs sorcerers to do tricks the true one soul God does not but then look at verse 12 it says for each man cast down his staff and they became serpents but But Aaron's staff, that is Moses and Aaron's staff, swallowed up their staffs. In other words, it just happened. Moses and Aaron didn't say, eat that. They didn't do that. See, what is that? That is about who is in charge. That is about who has almighty strength. That's about sovereignty. Pharaoh asks, who is the Lord? (laughs) And the Lord says, I am the Lord. And, and this is just breakfast. This is just breakfast. Now let my people go. But he didn't. His heart was hardened, verse 13. And he would not listen to them as the Lord said. So, so the plagues were sent to wage war on polytheism, to alter Pharaoh's understanding of reality. So this is a worldview war that's going on here. And Pharaoh's worldview says, I'm in charge of my world. I have chariots, and I'm not afraid to use them. And the Lord says, well, I'm outside the world, and I made the iron from which you make the chariots, so let me explain something to you here. And thus the plagues. Okay? Now, interestingly enough, I think Pharaoh would be quite at home in uh, our university culture. Because it's a culture of pluralistic relativism, which says, well, you know, if you want to say you're right, that's okay, as long as you don't say others are wrong. Right. Yeah. Well, that's nonsense. Really. And here's why. Here's why. You cannot be neutral when it comes to evaluating religious truth claims. You can't. Uh, e- even the person who says, well it's arrogant to think you're right and others are wrong. Well my response was, well, okay, are you saying you're right and I'm wrong? And isn't that arrogant? Well, no one can be sure which religion is best. And my response is, well, how can you be so sure about that? See? So you you, you cannot avoid neutrality. You can't. And and it does absolutely no good for us to say, well, you know, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism—they're they're all just kind of—they're they're all kind of just the, the same thing in different ways, to the same destination. No, 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 they're not. No, all religions aren't the same. They're not. You might as well just say that. It is plain. its they not. I mean, I know—I know of no, and we have—we have beloved Muslim friends who would not say that Jesus was God in the flesh. They would say he's a teacher, he's a prophet, he's a, he was, a, he was a, 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 a supernaturally gifted human being, but he would not say that he's 100% God, 100% man. Well, that's, there is no Christianity without that truth. So already, they're irreconcilable. So there's no point in trying to hide the, the differences. You can't avoid that. Now, what you can avoid are pride, violence, and disrespect. And what you can avoid is incivility. And and what we can all appreciate is living in a country where freedom exists for all faiths to worship according to conscience. And that type of tolerance is actually grounded in orthodox Christianity. So Christianity is unique in how we come to God and how we treat those who disagree. Amen. But still the question remains, well, why should we believe the truth of Christianity? Right? Well, again, the plagues help us answer this question. They're not a divine temper tantrum. Rather, they are a carefully organized display of God's power over creation. Let me show you this uh, uh, chart that was helpful for me uh, as I was uh, studying to prepare for our time together. So the plagues come in three waves, all right? Um, The first wave, blood, frogs, gnats. The second wave, flies, livestock, boils, the third wave, hail, locust, darkness, and then the tenth sign or the tenth final plague was the was the, the death of the firstborn. Um, and what's unique about each of the plagues is that number one, blood, number four, flies, and number uh, uh, seven hail occur God said Moses rise up early in the morning and go out to Pharaoh so each of those plagues are designated in the morning but then the second and the, the livestock or the frogs and the livestock and the locusts God says to Moses go into Pharaoh all right and then for gnats and boils and darkness there's no warning no warning at all. It just happens. It just happens. The plagues gradually become more severe. So, over a period of 18 months to two years, uh, so says one scholar, God slowly puts the pressure on Pharaoh methodically God goes from room to room in the kingdom of Egypt telling Pharaoh this is what I can do it's only going to get worse if you don't free Israel and so the plagues run and just take a look at this the plagues run from uh, passing discomfort to revolting disruption to disease-bearing lice and flies, to commercial livestock damage, to debilitating boils, to environmental chaos, to claustrophobic darkness, and then lastly, to gut-wrenching death. And, and why, did, why were they prolonged like this? Because Pharaoh hardened his heart. That's why. And so let's just consider just this first wave here, the blood and the frogs and the, the gnats here. Um, We read in our verses about this first plague where Moses appears in the morning. He announces to Pharaoh what's coming. The plague happens. The Nile turns to blood. Fish die. Stench, reeks for a week. But Pharaoh wasn't convinced. He replicated it. Verse 23 of chapter 7 says, He did not take this to heart. And then plague two happened. Frogs. Frogs. And there were frogs everywhere. Chapter 8, verse 3 into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. But then verse 7 says that Pharaoh's magicians replicate the plague. Huh? And we can do that too. Which only means there are. More frogs, right? Brilliant. Did you hear Mrs. Pharaoh saying, no, no, can you make them go away? Oh, no, we can't do that. And verse 8 says, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take the frogs from me and from my people, and then I'll let you all go. And this is so interesting. Moses says to Pharaoh, well, tell me when you would like for them to go, Okay. Be pleased to command me, this verse 9, when I am to plead for you and for your servants, for your people, that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And Pharaoh said, how about tomorrow? (laughs) He obviously had not consulted with Mrs. Pharaoh, right? Tomorrow? You told him tomorrow? Why not now? And at the appointed time, all of the frogs died, and then they started decomposing. Yeah. Ugh. The frogs died in the houses, verse 13, the courtyards, the fields, they ga- and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. Of course it would. Pharaoh can't even win in deliverance. See? See? And, and yet he still doesn't learn. Once the plague passes, his heart hardens. And, and then And then, in verse 16, the third plague of gnats was unannounced. Moses staff just struck the dirt, and these pesky gnats came out of everywhere, man and beast. But did you notice here? It says that, that the magicians, verse 18, could not duplicate this. So they can't keep up. They can't keep up. In fact, they even told Pharaoh that this, verse, eight, verse 19, this is the finger of God here. huh? This is the finger of God. So, so his people are getting it, but the leader's not getting it. So this cycle here occurs, you know, basically three times. And one and four and seven, we've got the same formula. Early in the morning, announcement, plague, devastation, Pharaoh's false repentance, hard, hardened. Plagues 2, 5, and 8, similar format. He goes into Pharaoh, plague happens, temporary repentance, plague ends, and then versus, uh, and Then plagues 3, 6, and 9 are just unannounced. And, and as if to put the nation on edge. What's going to happen next? We don't know what's going to happen next. And, and, it, and, and you know what? It gets worse. Not only are the magicians unable to duplicate the plagues, but the plagues begin to discriminate between Egypt and Israel. Goshen was a land where Israel lived, and it became a plague free zone. And just glance at chapter 8, verse 22. No swarms of flies shall be there in the land of Goshen. Take a look at chapter 9, verse 4. The Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. Chapter 9, verse 26 says that there was no hail in Goshen. And in chapter 10, verse 23, it says in all Israel there was light. Okay. So now what's happening here? God is revealing His almighty strength. He's revealing His supremacy. And and here's how He's doing it through the plagues. He is reversing creation. You know how in Genesis 1, where God takes the chaos and orders it in the seven days of creation? Here, He's undoing that. There's decreation going on. Animals originally created to be in submission to human life, now rebel against them. There's frogs everywhere. There's frogs in my oven. Get them out of here. Water becomes a source of death instead of life. Light ceases and darkness takes over. And the weather goes bonkers. Think about the hailstorm. Think, think about the hailstorm. No way. For a hailstorm, we, we live in Champaign County. That's not Champaign County, that's Egypt. Now, Egypt, desert, arid climate. Typically three inches of rain a year. And to see this hailstorm is terrifying. And then, The darkness of the ninth plague. Remember, arid desert environment. They're not going to have cloudy days there. But here, there is a darkness. And what does 10, 21 say? That there may be darkness over the land, a darkness to be felt. You can feel the darkness. That's dark. You can feel it. Hmm. Pharaoh can't win. I mean, he needs chariots. He needs soldiers. He needs spears. He needs armor. And he's up against the god who fights with frogs. Frogs. How shall we fight Pharaoh today? Oh, let's use some mosquitoes. That'll do the trick. Oh, let's do some gnats effortlessly Yahweh does this and and in the tenth and final plague human life is taken it's a reversal of genesis 1 a reversal of the of the sixth day of creation when when the the, the pinnacle of creation human life the last plague is is a reversal of that it's taken and 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 all because Pharaoh refused God. Now, here's the lesson. Listen to me, please, church family. When you detach from your Creator, your life deteriorates. When when we unhitch our life from God, we become unhinged. We become unhinged. God is God we, let, think about this. When a doctor says to a patient, look, you can't eat this anymore. You just can't. What patient would say, well, you're just trying to control my life. You, you're, just to, you're just trying to control me. No, the doctor is just trying to define reality. This is your reality. Now, Now, if you defy the doctor's directives, Nothing may happen that day, but eventually your body's going to deteriorate. And and God's authority is like that only more. For while the doctor has studied, God created you. And He knows you. He knows us physically, emotionally, socially, psychologically, spiritually. And He's not just speaking as you know, a medical scientist. He's speaking as our creator. This is how I made you. And so he gives us psychological directives. He says, look, nothing can be more important than me. Not your family, not your job, not your work, not even just ministry. That can't be more important to me. I have to be the most important. Not your children, not your grandchildren. You must build your identity on me. And if you choose not to, It's not that I'm gonna cut off the oxygen supply, though I could if I wanted to. It's not that I'm gonna do that, it's that eventually you're gonna start experiencing disintegration, you just will. So if you obsess over the acquisition of wealth, and then there's an economic famine, so you're gonna be undone. If you fail to forgive, you are going to disintegrate spiritually and emotionally, And eventually, physically, because when you store up resentments, your stomach keeps score. Disobedience to God always unleashes the forces of chaos. The unhitched become unhinged. I've been asked on more than one occasion over the years, well Randy if God is the creator and if he created everything why did he create evil? And it's an honest question but it's based on a false premise. It assumes that evil is a created thing which it is not. Evil is like cold. Okay. What's cold? The absence of heat. What's darkness? The absence of light. Evil is the absence of holiness, righteousness, justice, love. And, And this is just some sad verses, church family. But in chapter 10, verses 27, 28, and 29, 10, 27, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, that's Moses, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Now, you understand that by banishing Moses, he was banishing God because Moses was God's representative. God had said to Moses, you will be as God to Pharaoh. So, when Pharaoh says, Moses, go away, he's saying, God, go away. And if you say that long enough, he will. Mm. And that, friends, is hell. Mm. That's why C.S. Lewis says that hell is a door that's locked from the inside. I think the sad thing is that Pharaoh was not just refusing almighty strength, but he was refusing God's unfailing love. Um, For you see, out of his love, God redeemed his his people Israel and ultimately to lead all people out of bondage. Uh, Someone might ask, well, pastor, why didn't God just cut to the chase? and go to the 10th plague? Why, why, do, why all the bother with the first nine? And that's a great question. And actually, the Lord answers that. If you, if you look at chapter 9, uh, verses 14 through 16. Chapter 9, 14 through 16. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on all your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. And then he says this, For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, and here it is, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth in all the earth so god's unfailing love desired all to come to him even pharaoh but he won't why well because you look at verse chapter 9:17 because you're still exalting yourself against my people and you won't let them go so god's unfailing love desired all to be. The the promise to Abraham was that through Abraham all would be blessed. So the ten plagues are missional. God's name must be proclaimed in all the earth for worship. And 2 Peter 3.9 speaks of his unfailing love in terms of his patience. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient to you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So so ultimately, these these ten signs of sovereignty are, are just acts of God's patience, bringing us, bringing us ultimately to the one sign which God would provide for all the world, a sign in which God's love and strength come together. And not just for the Hebrew people, but for all people. The sign of the plagues poured out on his own son on the cross. For Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you see in Jesus, the ultimate plagues The gospel says that darkness overtook the earth when Jesus was crucified. The earth shook and the rocks split. Blood and water flowed from the heart of Christ. Jesus took on the plagues in his body as the punishment for Pharaoh's sins and for yours and for mine. And now Christ has become the enemy of God. On the cross, Jesus was detached, unhitched. From his father, which is why he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Whereas Israel was redeemed at the cost of Pharaoh's firstborn, we are redeemed at the cost of the father's firstborn. And even in Christ's resurrection, there is the ultimate reversal. For Jesus was raised to life, never to die again. For he is our hope. And that's why Exodus and these plagues and the whole message of Scripture, it's a taste of mercy and judgment, strength and love. Exodus is God's down payment, promising that all will be set right. Exodus is a call to put your hope in God. Everyone lives in Egypt. There is a promised land. Only God will get us From Egypt to the promised land. Only God. So trust him. Don't refuse. Who would refuse this God? Well, people do. Pharaoh did. Please, don't you. Don't harden your heart. you know what the Bible said? Do you see what the Bible said about Pharaoh's heart? It says he hardened his heart. And then it says his heart was hardened. And then it says the Lord hardened his heart. Which is it? The answer is yes. And you say, well, how was that so? Come back next week.